Hello, my name is Van Sneed, and welcome to another episode of the PS Plus, a Living Faith Bible Institute podcast that serves as a companion to another called The Postscript. Now, on that podcast, pastor and host Brandon Briscoe each week will be speaking with other pastors and professors from the Living Faith Bible Institute on a wide array of topics. Here on this podcast, the PS Plus, we'll take a look at some of those topics that are being discussed and we'll dive in just a bit deeper. In today's episode, we're going to continue taking a look at Bible translation philosophy, specifically as it relates to dynamic equivalence. So, let's do this thing. So let's go ahead and do a quick review of where we were at last time. So by way of a reminder, formal equivalence is also known as a word-for-word translation, whereas dynamic equivalence is also known as a thought-for-thought translation. And in the previous episode, we took a look at three problems with dynamic equivalence. The first is that it takes a critical view of Scripture. That is, not a faith-based view that God has providentially preserved His Word, but rather a critical view that says that the original autographs were preserved, but it's up to the science of textual criticism and learned scholars to dig back to the originals. The second is that we saw that the translator is essentially acting as an interpreter. So it's not just the conveying of the words from one language to another, but a degree of subjective interpretation as to what needs to be conveyed and how it should be conveyed that is independent of the original words, which actually do convey meaning. And the third problem that we had with dynamic equivalence is that it is in opposition to biblical literalism. And from a dispensational viewpoint, a dispensational perspective on the Bible, biblical literalism is fundamental to our hermeneutic as to how we interpret the Bible. Now, as some of you guys know, I've been taking the manuscript evidence class offered by LFBI, and I'm pulling a lot of really great content from that, and that's taught by Pastor Alan Shelby. And Pastor Allen was also on episodes 100 through 102 of the postscript talking about the King James Version of the Bible. And one of the things that he did in those episodes and that he's been talking about in the class is is kind of an exegetical defense of a faith-based view of Scripture. So so what do I mean by that? Well, if we're going to get up on our high horse and talk about how God has providentially preserved his word and we're going to make this a major issue that we're going to set our entire life to, well, then let's not let it be just a good idea that we came up with. Let's actually find a scriptural basis for why it is that we are taking such a hard stance on this particular issue. To that end, Pastor Allen talked about a passage in Jeremiah 36 as a way of illustrating how God is able to providentially preserve his word. Now, I'm not going to walk back through what he did in that episode, but what I do want to do is something similar as it relates to why it is that we think that God's individual words are so important and not just his thoughts. And so, if you will, We're going to do a little bit of Bible story time today. Now, the passage that we're going to be taking a look at is probably going to be familiar to a lot of you. And once we start reading it, I think that you'll know where we're going. But I'm okay with that because these issues are really important. 
And so what we're going to be talking about today is the Ark of the Covenant, specifically out of a passage in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Now, I want to be very clear. The passages that we're reading today are not about Bible translation, right? So I'm not trying to twist the Bible to make it say what I want. But I think that principally, we'll see some important values and characteristics of God and how he views his word. And I think the parallels and the applications will become obvious. And so we're going to read kind of a longer passage in 2 Samuel 6, verses 1 through 7. And the thing that I want you to keep in mind is that the goal in this particular passage, the goal from David, king of Israel, is that he wants to he wants to transfer the Ark of the Covenant. He wants, to, he wants to have it travel from one place to a different place. He wants the Ark of the Covenant to move from one location to another location. All right, so let's read the passage. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the Ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Geba. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Geba, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David And all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments, made of fir wood, even on harps, and on psalteries, and on timbrels, and on cornets, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God, and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. So what the what is happening here in this particular passage? Well, Israel's very excited about the ark. It's been chilling at some bro's house for a period of time. And David's like, yo, let's bring that ark home. That's like the, that's like the short version of what's going on there. And we see in verse two, that's the goal is to quote, bring up from thence the ark of God again, to transfer it from one location to the other location. Again, the end result is that the ark is moved, right? We want to move the ark. But what we need to take note of is the process of transfer because the ark of the covenant is on a new cart. It's being driven by oxen and yet something happens and the cart is shaking and you can imagine, you know, the ark of the covenant just like, you know, taking a nosedive is like probably not a good thing. And so, you know, poor Uzzah, he puts his hand up on the cart to make sure that it, that it doesn't fall. And boom, like he gets got immediately. I I imagine it, it, you know, there's just smells like smoke and burnt hair, like do got got. And we find out David, David is none too pleased about this. So that by itself, we can exposit a couple of things. We can we can see a couple of things. We can see that, you know, God is very holy and he's so holy and he's unapproachable. And and, and there's there's an application there. But what I want to do is draw our attention away from the new cart and actually back to the instructions that were given about the Ark of the Covenant in the book of Exodus. 
Because as you know, if you've ever read Exodus, God is giving very specific instructions as to how all of the instruments of the tabernacle are to be made, how the tabernacle itself is to be made and reared up, but also how the Ark of the Covenant is to be transported. Let's read in Exodus chapter 25, verses 10 through 15. And they shall make an ark of shittim wood, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, within and without shalt thou overlay it, and shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. So this ark is basically looking fresh. Uh, fresh is a is an old school way of saying that it looks great and it's very shiny, lots of gold. I don't know what the kids are saying today about gold and, and bling. Otherwise, I would make that reference. But at this point, I've explained the reference and also I'd sound like an idiot like I do right now. Let's continue. And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it and put them in the four corners thereof. And two rings shall be in the one side of it, and two rings in the other side of it. Very interesting. Let's keep reading. And thou shalt make staves, or like long sticks, of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be borne with them. The stave shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. So I think that you can see where we're having an issue. In 2 Samuel, the ark is put on a cart and driven by oxen, and that's in direct contradiction to how the instruction here for how it is to be transported. Yes, the ark was designed to be moved, but the specific manner as to how it should be moved, should have been followed to the letter. The ark had been designed to have rings and staves that went through it, and that men would pick up the ark and move it. It was to be carried on the shoulders of the Israelites. And we see a very clear following of this instruction in the siege at Jericho in the book of Joshua. When Israel comes up against Jericho, they were carrying the ark of the covenant. They were encompassing Jericho. This is how God designed the ark to be moved. And so what we see very clearly from this passage is that God isn't just interested in the end result. Or another way to say it is God isn't just interested in the thoughts of getting the ark from one place to the other place. He's into the specific words that he used to illustrate how it is that the ark should be moved from one place to another place. Now, here's what I think is pretty neat. The ark of the covenant, if you do a little bit of digging and compare scripture with scripture, man, it's an unmistakable type of Christ. We, we see this in a lot of different ways. One of the ways in which we see this is just by noting what was inside of the ark. A passage in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4, tells us very clearly that inside of the ark was the golden pot that had the manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. And we don't have time to talk about 
those in depth, but do a little scripture digging and you'll find, oh man, the Ark of the Covenant is a wonderful type of Christ. Well, you know, Christ is also the living word. We see that very clearly in John 1.1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And later on in that same chapter, the word is identified to be none other than Jesus Christ by which all things were made. So I hope that you can see these parallels. It's not enough that we get excited about the Ark of the Covenant and sing songs and do dances and move it from one place to another and at the same time disregard the words of God that are, that are instructing us. And in a very similar fashion, when it comes to how it is that we view the Bible, we have to ask ourselves the question, is it just the thoughts that count? Or is God concerned about his very words? I mean, if you want to know which one is it, go ask Uzza. Guys, as always, I want to thank you so much for joining me on another episode of the PS Plus. If you have questions about the Living Faith Bible Institute, I'd encourage you to go to lfbi.org. You can find out lots of information there. Also, if you haven't already, you want to go back and listen to episodes 100 through 102 of The Postscript, where Pastor Brandon, host of The Postscript, interviews Pastor Alan Shelby on the King James Version. It is an enlightening listen and will be very helpful for you. I hope this podcast today was helpful for you, and I hope to talk to you next time. Take care.